but I just want to say good morning. It's great to see you guys here. Um, you know, when John and Derek both found out they were going to be out of town this weekend, I should say they're on vacation this weekend, um, they asked Brenda if she would do the sermon, and uh, Brenda couldn't do it for some reason, so she asked Josh if he could do the sermon, and Josh couldn't. So Josh came to me, and he asked me if I would set up a uh, 30-minute clip from Lord of the Rings, so Phil, uh, Doug, if you'll get... No, I'm just kidding, man. I'm cool. I'm just... I'm just... No, but honestly, it's, it's just um, it's a real pleasure to be in front of you guys this morning, just to be with you, and I really mean that. And, um, you know, John and Derek have talk, been talking about the Apostle Paul the last couple of weeks and, and the road trip he took. We're in this road trip series. And I thought, you know, as much as I knew about him, I really didn't know who this Paul guy was or, like, where he came from or his life or who he was. So I thought we could do that this morning, you know, kind of look at the story of Paul's life and see how kind of God was part of that and what he did. And I'm also going to just share a little bit about my story at the same time. So um, I hope that at the end of that, we don't just kind of admire this guy, Paul, and his life, but that it'll drive us to seeing the evidence of a God who really cared about him and who stayed with him to the end and and redeemed him ultimately. So if you guys will pray with me. Uh, Father, we just thank you so much for this day. And um, just that we can even sit here with each other is a privilege that I sometimes forget about and I take for granted. I thank you for that. And I thank you for this people. And I thank you for the word that you showed and through the life of Paul. So I just ask that you would help us to understand what you want us to understand today and just to speak to us through your spirit. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so who's this Paul guy? All right, so he's sometimes called Saul. And actually, it's not too big of a deal if you call him Saul or Paul, actually. It's not like some big name change thing from the Old Testament. Saul was just his Hebrew name, and Paul was his Gentile name. So, like, the two are interchangeable. And he gives a little insight about where he comes from in uh, Philippians 3, 4 through 6. And it's on the screen or in your bulletin. You can read that. He says, If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. What does all that mean? Basically, he thought he was the man. And, uh, and he was born that way. So he had the easy life, just starting right off. So let's kind of break that down a little bit. He's from the tribe of Benjamin, which is like, he can trace his history back to this storied tribe of Israel. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning... In, the, in those days, there was a division, obviously, between Jews and non-Jews or Gentiles. But within the Jewish society, there's actually a big division between foreign-born Greek-speaking Jews and Hebrew-speaking Jews that were born in Palestine. And the ones that spoke Hebrew put themselves above the foreign-born Greek-speaking ones. So Paul is like the man on that side as well. And his, both his parents are Hebrews. He said he's a Pharisee. And you guys know what a Pharisee, that, that, that was like the strictest sect of Judaism. They followed, like, every rule and every law to the letter, you know. They didn't jaywalk. They didn't steal napkins from McDonald's or sugar packets from Starbucks like I do all the time because they're oh so good. But they didn't do any of that. And what it it says, like, he actually says in Acts uh, 23.6 that his dad was a Pharisee. He said he was a son of a Pharisee. So he's got a whole history of that. He was born in Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus which is a Greek city, and because of where it was sitting, Tarsus was, like, esteemed in in the Roman world. 
it was a Greek city, and it was like a center of trade. All the provinces of the Mediterranean and Asia Minor, they kind of met there at this estuary that sat on the Mediterranean. So there's a lot of money flowing through it, um, a lot of different cultures going to it. They had the best school, the university in, in the whole world, better than the one in Athens, better than the one in, in Alexandria. And the people there, the citizens, were known for being really smart and well-educated because they went through that system. So Paul was born there. He was part of that. And it was so regarded by the Roman Empire that was ruling at the time that uh, Rome incorporated it as part of the empire, but then they let it just be independent, like so govern itself. That's pretty cool. So he was also born a Roman citizen, we find out, in Acts 22, 26. Just because he was born in Tarsus doesn't mean he's a Roman citizen. He was also born as a Roman citizen because his dad was a Roman citizen. Huge advantage. He was fluent in Hebrew and Greek. Greek was like the language of business at the time. It's like the Mandarin Chinese or the Spanish of today or, or what else is the business language of today. Um, and he was also a tent maker. He had like a skill. You know, he can make tents and he can get by that way. So he's really ambitious and zealous. And um, I can only imagine you know, he had a kind of a sense of entitlement about him and pride just looking at that, where he comes from, this upper echelon of society. And after he's educated in Tarsus, he goes to Jerusalem to study more, to go to college, basically. He goes to study as a rabbi. And he studies not under just any guy. He studies under this guy named Gamaliel, who's like considered one of the most esteemed teachers in all of Jewish history. So he's, he's learning from this stud, of, uh, this stud of a rabbi. Is that the right word? No. So Paul, just to recap, you know, he's born into a, a distinguished city, a distinguished family. He's a Roman citizen. He speaks all these languages. He's got a Harvard education, basically a Ph.D. in theology and law. And um, that's who Paul is. He's the man, basically. And that's how he starts out his life. So a little bit about me. <laughs> I never really thought I was the man at all at any point in my life. And actually, I struggled with, uh, ever since the beginning, I can remember an identity crisis. You know, I just I didn't like the person I was. I didn't know who I was. And, and I think part of that was because I was... Uh, born into one of the few Asian families that, that lived in this town only, Maryland. It's not too far from here. That's where I grew up. And so just being like so remarkably different, like outwardly different from my peers, I, um, I just rejected myself kind of, and I just wanted to be like them. You know, I, I couldn't be who I was. And I remember just like sitting in bed sometimes wondering why I was born Korean, why, was, why I looked this way, and just wondering if, I, if it went the other way. And all the self-rejection... And all this self-rejection, kind of my response was, well, maybe I can make an identity for myself. So what I would do is just try to make myself be like people, be like someone that people would like, would enjoy. And I would pursue different hobbies and different things. I would excel and try to excel in academics. And anything I did, I would follow with kind of a selfish but quiet ambition, you know, all for the purpose of just of, of establishing who I was. So aside from that identity crisis, like, I also kind of lived an easy life, I felt. And just everything kind of fell into place for me. And I never really had to make some difficult decisions. I never faced huge trials or anything. You know, I was just kind of riding this ebb and flow of life. And, um, and it was easy. And because of that, I just felt complacent you know, and apathetic. And I, I didn't know what I wanted or what I believed. You know, I, went, I grew up going to church even all my life. And they told me, Jesus loves you. And and your sins are forgiven and all that stuff. And um, I heard that, and I could repeat that. But in my mind, I doubted. In my heart, I doubted. Uh, did I really believe that? Did I make that decision on my own? 
did I even, even understand what that meant. And so I go to college because my parents told me to, because that's what I had to do. And I studied this and that because well, there were practical things to study, and even though I really didn't like the subjects and what I wanted to do. And, and, I, and when I graduated, I went to my first job. And this is how easy it was. My first job before I graduated, and the economy wasn't that great at the time, my employer actually called me and said, if I'd work, if I'd work there, accept the full position at that firm. I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Sounds good, because that's what I should have done. And so I was left feeling complacent and like basically I read this quote by Thomas Merton who's this Catholic priest he puts it really well he said a life without problems may be more hopeless than one that always verges on despair and as ironic as that sounds that's how I felt man I felt hopeless you know because <laughs> I'd never had to face despair everything was so smooth that um, I never had to face a difficult situation and even in my religion in my spiritual journey my life I knew and I said that God's mercy was in my life and that he loved me, but, but in reality, I was thoroughly unconvinced that I needed God's mercy. Like, I could do it on my own. You know, my life was always okay and everything turned out okay. So I just continued to achieve for the sake of affirming myself and doing well, but I soon faced a wall and I came to this place, this disheartening reality, that if I kept doing that, the progression of all that, of all the achieving and just doing well for myself would never fulfill me because it, it wasn't. I was always felt wanting, empty, and I just wanted to do more. So I kind of put on this patchwork armor to create an identity for myself, and then that armor was getting really heavy, and I wanted to take it off and escape. So we'll go back to Paul now. So Paul is like living in Jerusalem now. He's a rabbi practicing, and he says in Galatians 1.14 that he was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of his own age. So he's like on the fast track to being one of the best rabbis around, like the Donald Trump of rabbis or whatever, something like that. Donald Trump, yeah, that works. So we come to Paul's really infamous introduction in Acts 7 and 8. Like this is the first place we're introduced to him, where he's first mentioned. It's when Stephen, he's like a deacon in the church at this point, is being stoned by the Sanhedrin, which is like the Supreme Court of Israel. And it says, Saul was there giving approval to his death. That's how we're introduced to Saul. And the death of Stephen starts the whole scattering of early Christians across the Mediterranean. They're all in Jerusalem. And because of that, this persecution that started, they just start scattering. And Saul followed them. And in Acts 8.3, it says, Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them into prison. And in Acts 26, at the, at Acts 26, 11, he actually calls it an obsession. He says, in my obsession against them, I went to foreign cities to persecute them. So he's like the dog, the bounty hunter of Christians. He's going after them. So he actually does stuff. He doesn't have like a super soaker full of mace. You know. Sorry if you don't watch that show. You don't get that reference. But So he's on this road to Damascus following these other um, Christians who are fleeing. He wants to persecute more. He's had, he hasn't had enough. And that's where he like this big conversion experience happens. You guys, a lot of you might have heard about it. Uh, it's in the Bible three times, and Saul talks about it personally twice. And basically, he's on the road, and he's struck down to the ground by this blinding light, blinded by the light. And this voice, he hears this voice, and it goes, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So he hears this voice, and he, this voice knows his name. And he goes, who are you, Lord? 
And he goes, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And that moment is where Paul totally changes his life around. All he had to do was hear, I am Jesus, to know that what he had been doing his whole life was not right. That the Jesus that he was persecuting, that he knew well, he knew the teachings well because he was a Pharisee and he was destroying the people. He knew that what he was doing was wrong. He knew that Jesus was real, that he was right. And all he had to hear was his voice, I am Jesus. That's all he had to hear. And so from there on, um, he's blinded. He receives his sight again. He goes into Arabia in solitude for three years, as it says in Galatians 1.17. And uh, it's kind of rough. Not, scholars don't know what actually happened there. They say he kind of meditated, and, and he actually received more teaching from Jesus there. Probably had a lot of thinking to do. So when he gets back in Acts 9.20, it says, At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And the rest is history. You know, he just goes out. The rest, he goes the world over preaching this sermon, uh, preaching this message that um, Jesus is, is uh, their Savior. And the crux of his message, as he says in Romans 3, 23 to 24, is that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came from Christ Jesus. So it just amazed me like how he goes from this one guy who's pursuing legalistic righteousness. He's trying to work for salvation his whole life. That's the whole point. To all of a sudden going to the other end where he's like, you can only be justified by faith, nothing that you do. It's like a miraculous turn of events. It's like, you know, like Hitler going into, marching into Poland and trying to persecute the Jews. And then he falls down and he gets up and he gets there and he's like, hey, Jews, let's be friends and let's be buddies and have sausages at my house. So it's just a remarkable change, you know. And for all the stuff that he had, like where he came from, the acclaim and his privileged life, he, what he says in Philippians 3, 7 through 8, he says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And we go down and says, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Man, just a total transformation. So back to me, we can fast forward a little in my life and, in 2004, I, God kind of answered this prayer I had, and he brought me to this church, Grace Community Church. And it was this church that, like, for the first time, I felt like I could be myself, you know, and that people were accepting me as I was, and I didn't have to put on this front. And they, didn't, they could see through that. And two years later, it's March 2006, and I'm living with my two buddies, Matt and Matt. And, uh, yeah, that's right, a lot of Matts. And um, they went to this uh, church business meeting. And the board was like, we're looking for a new staff person to kind of help with music and technology. And they nominated me there, and I wasn't even there. So they come running home to me, and they come running through the door, I remember, like almost in a unified voice. They're like, Ryan, you got to take this job. And I was confused. I was like, what are they talking about? They also knew that I actually took a new job three months earlier because I was so frustrated with my last job that I was like half praying, like, oh, God, take me to this another job. I don't like what I'm doing. And actually, it's funny, this is how easy things were. When I was praying that, my uh, friend gave me a call, like who I haven't seen in three years, and he was like, hey, Ryan, I want to come work here. And I was like, oh, yes, that's the answer I was looking for. And it wasn't the answer. but So I was like at this new job for three months, and I was making more money, and in this company that was like on the fast track for success, and, and I had this plan worked out. So when they told me to take the job, I was confused. And then they said, well, just quit, you know. And because you're going to work at the sta- on staff at Grace, and I like busted out laughing. I was like, "What? <laughs> you guys are insane!" Like, 
I already knew they were insane, but I said, um, this just proves it even more. Um, you know, in my world, that was just, just not something to even consider. You know, like I, I was in this job, um, doing well financially and it was good for my career. And I'm not saying those things are bad at all. So please don't mistake me for that. But, um, it was something I couldn't even think about. So I immediately discounted it. I was like, I'm not going to do that. But for two weeks, they really just annoyed me and, um, got in my case because I lived with them so I couldn't get away from them. They actually used to, I shouldn't even say that. They used to, like, jump in my bed in the morning to wake me up. And Okay, that's weird, right? <laughs> Forget I said that. <laughs> but um, but they would, like, whisper, you know, hey, think about that job. It's perfect. I've been talking to John Derrick. I've been talking about it everywhere I went. And it really annoyed me. But at the end of two weeks, I don't know, for some reason, not because of that, some reason I was like, maybe I should think about it. Why did I just, like, bat it off? You know, like, the thing I always did was to do that, you know. The usual thing for me, the reasonable thing for me, would just to stay in my job. You know, that's what makes sense and not even consider this. And because I had always done that, I thought maybe I should try the opposite. Maybe I should actually try to ask God and seek his advice because I don't think I really did that before in my life at all because things just happened for me. And I was like, all right, I'm going to genuinely go to God with this one. And I didn't even know how to genuinely go to God with that. So I asked God, help me genuine about it. It's like this recursive ask. So it took me four months to make that decision. I'm pretty indecisive, so yeah, that's about right. And um, in those four months, I was just talking to God. You know, I wasn't praying kind of like the formal prayers I used to pray. I was just like kind of debating with him and talking him through the day and like, hmm, should I do this? And what are you, ta- what are you telling me? And I, I tried fasting and and talking to mentors, and I was reading the Bible, and my friends, and um, the amazing thing, I was taking this journal through that, and writing things down that kind of stuck on me, and stuck in my heart. And the amazing thing is when I look back on the four months, there was like this clear message, was, everything was con- convening to this one point, and it was the first time like I ever felt confident about something, like, like the first time I felt confident that God was kind of telling me something, I was like, all right, this is real, I, I'm pretty sure. And the message he gave me, the answer wasn't take the job, period. It wasn't that easy. And it was a much better answer, an answer that would kind of be a catalyst for the next couple of years of my life. The answer he told me was this, and I wrote it down. It was, you know, Ryan, I've been with you your whole life, and I loved you your whole life. So I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to tell you to do anything. I want you to trust me. I want you to make your decision, but I want you to trust that I'll stay with you like I always have. And that was good enough for me. That was what I needed to hear at that moment. And um, the next morning, I turned in my resignation at work, and they were cool with it. I was a little afraid of that. They were fine. And that afternoon, I called John, and I was like, I'm going to take the job. And I started on staff um, on August 15th, 2006. So now I, I wish I could tell you like that was the beginning of some great holy ride. Like I was skipping with Jesus. I do love to skip, but skipping with Jesus and like I was all pious and everything, but it was like the contrary, not at all. I read this quote by this guy, J.A. Motyer, and he says, The new birth doesn't solve conflict, nor does it give us automatic victory, nor does it put us beyond the reach of temptation or the possibility of falling. 
The new birth, in fact, brings us into an arena where the old nature and the new nature battle it out. And that's basically what describes what was happening, what I felt the next couple of years. This battle was ensuing. But I was, still, I was kind of glad that in some way, even though it was terrible, that there was a battle ensuing at least. And God was making me face these challenges that I had been running away from all my life. Um, and I wanted to run away because he was doing that. But also, God now put people in my life that wouldn't let me run away. And those people were the people here. My friends are here who are sitting here. Um, my housemates, the, the staff at Grace, who are some of my best friends, they extended to me a patience to allow me to struggle with them but not quit. And they, just, they reminded me of what the truth was. And finally, like I was at a place where I understood like it was okay. I was a work in progress. It was okay. You know, Paul talks a lot about that conflict between the new and the old self. He talks about that a lot in his letters. That the more we strive to live for Christ, the more the old self pushes back at us. And even reveals like that personal struggle in Romans 7.15. He says, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate I do. So he went through this internal struggle himself. Not only internal, he went through a real physical battle between his former and his new life. Once he accepts Christ and decides to live for Christ... He's chased all over the world by his friends. He's stoned almost to death. He is flogged and beaten. He is put in jail for almost six years of his whole life. And even at the end of his life, we see, if you read Timothy, he names, like he's abandoned one by one by his friends, by other Christians. He just, they leave him. And so he dies by himself in Rome. He's executed uh, as a prisoner. And I thought, man, if I was Paul's parents, I would have been kind of pissed. And wondering, like, you know, what happened? Like, you kind of threw away all the stuff that you had. You were, you were all set. You're ready to go. And uh, now you're, like, running around like a vagrant, like a criminal. And if I were Paul, I might have wondered, maybe I wasted the first 30 years of my life. You know, maybe I wasted my time destroying this Jesus that I was trying to help in my later half of my life. But Paul didn't have regrets. If you read the letters, he, he admits his faults, but he doesn't regret it because he knew he was forgiven. And he understood that every part of his life like, had a purpose, even from the beginning. And as misguided as that life was in the first part, God used every part of it. And you can see it. It's so cool when you look at it. The whole picture. You know, Paul was a Pharisee, so he had that grasp of Jewish law, and he was a lawyer, and he was a great debater. Well, he'd use that later to face philosophers and religious leaders and great minds and all the places he went to try to convince people of Christ. He was born in Tarsus, so he had Jewish and Greek cultural background. And he would use that to relate to people of Greek and Jewish background, non-Jew, um, to teach them about the gospel. And so cool, if you look at Acts, I never re- even looked at that, even recognized it, that when he, when he approaches people to, to give them the message, he comes from their point of view. Like, he's not pushing it on, but he's like, he understands where they come from because he was there. He was a Greek. He was a Jew. And as a Roman citizen, even though he's imprisoned, he can appeal to Caesar. He has that power. So that takes him to Rome, and he's able to take the message all the way to Rome because of that. And even his tent-making skill that he learned, that trade, he uses that to earn money to support his ministry when he needs it. So it's really cool, like, the completion of all the promises um, that are there in Paul's life. And for me, when I was on staff, as I started working the next four years, I found, like, the battle that I most struggled with was my pride, you know. And that's not uncom- it's not um, far-fetched because... If identity was my biggest issue, then pride is probably going to be right behind it. That's probably going to be my biggest struggle. And it was. 
And I doubted, severely doubted if I had made the right choice. And I, I wrote it down. I think I started doubting August 16th, 2006. So <laughs> that's pretty right. And, um, man, I just started to believe, man, maybe I made the wrong choice. And, and being on church staff just didn't sound good at a class reunion or, or at the bar. You know what I'm talking about? All right. Forget it. All right. <laughs> That's not good. Um, and I thought, man, I could do so much better. I can earn more money and, uh, you know, be much more successful. And I was starting to believe these lies again. They're coming to my mind. And the way I battled that was to come to a realization that, that I couldn't find satisfaction in any of my pursuits or anything I did or what this world had to offer. And that was true. But there's a couple of ways you can go with that realization once you come to that point. And the way I responded to that was just to be in utter despair and apathy. I became utterly disinterested in the things that I used to love and have a passion for because I felt like the only harvest I was reaping was just for myself, and I was just building things up for myself. So I said, I'm just not going to do anything. I don't, I don't care about anything. But God was really reminding me that the world was competing for my hope all the time, and that sometimes I would lose, and I would be losing right now if I didn't fight against it. You know, in, in his letters, Paul constantly refers to the message of salvation as like a mystery, like the mystery of Christ. It's all over the place. And he says that because he realizes it's something that he can't figure out himself. As much education as he had, the knowledge and the reasoning, he could spend a lifetime doing that, but he couldn't figure out the mystery of that salvation by himself. But he understood it only because God told it to him and he revealed it to him through the Holy Spirit. And that's what I felt like was happening. The Holy Spirit started to work in me and revealed to me like the mysteries that I couldn't figure out, the mysterious th- ways I was feeling. And it was a slow process, and I'm still in that process today, and it'll probably be for the rest of my life. But I soon understood that you know there's nothing wrong with my pursuits, but those weren't the point of it all. You know, That's not what it was about. And it was my time just living here and being with you guys and being in a relationship with everyone in this room and being involved in this community that taught me what I really valued deep inside. And I understood what I really valued were people, were God's people, were the relationships I had with them, the struggles to go through with them, the joys, and that God's love was real and that I should look at it in eternal, eternal perspective. And it's kind of funny how God had to take me to that place of utter despair and disinterest to kind of break me free from the things I used to do to like kind of finally use those things. Uh, I was a, I was a software web software developer before this and so later, that would come in handy when I had to help you know, build a website. And then I worked in finance in my first job. And a couple years ago, I had to help you know, take on the uh, financial accounting for Grace and Treasury. And I always loved learning about music and playing music. And when Peely left, she was our worship leader last year, I had to help you know, take on that responsibility last year doing the music. So at all these points, I see God kind of redeeming me in a funny ways in retrospect. So it was kind of cool. So we're going to kind of close out this review of Paul's life, and I thought it might be cool just to look back on his life in the big picture. You know, in Philippians 3.16, Paul writes, I thought, he writes, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Right there. Man, it's pretty profound, I thought. Like, I'm always living up to something that I, I'm trying to attain for myself. You know, and Paul, he lived the first half of his life trying to live to attain something that he knew was out of his grasp. That was a mystery. 
before he came to that realization. But he reminded us that as hard as, and as best as we tried, we could never redeem ourselves, you know. We couldn't make a name for ourselves. But God did that for us already. He did it already. And if we would just trust that he did that, then we can truly live, you know. Paul lived the rest of his life believing that. And even so, you look at his life in retrospect, the history of it, and you can see God just like redeeming him at every point in turn. It's really cool. He, he probably couldn't see it, but we can see it now um, through a timeline. You know, Paul, he was involved with Stephen Stoning, so like all the Christians scattered because of that to the far reaches of the earth. But then Paul went to spreading the gospel and traveling the rest of his life to spread the gospel to the reaches of the earth. He um, was part of a Pharisee, uh, the pharisaical sect that was like really exclusive and divisive. He went to preaching about unity and what he says in Galatians 3.28, that there is nor, ne- neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you, are all one, for you are all one in Christ. He went from living a life of fulfilling every part of the law, every detail, to just preaching justification by faith alone, not by works. And as I look on his life, I feel like he summarizes it best at this one point, at 1 Timothy 115 through 16. And he writes this kind of near the end of his life. He wrote Timothy, the two letters to Timothy towards the end of his life. And he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. And I always glazed over this, but he said Christ Jesus displayed his unlimited patience to us. I thought that was amazing. You know, Jesus was, God is showing patience to us. And in 2 Peter 3.9, it's a similar message. It says, the Lord is not slack or slow concerning his promise. But he's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, I've always felt that, that the patience and suffering was on my end. Like, I had to do it. Like, when's my time going to come? How long do I have to endure this? But we're reminded that God is also patiently enduring on his end. You know, and he's willing to wait our whole lifetime to come to him, to go to him. That's how much he loves us. You know, Paul was this amazing person. He had this exciting, amazing life. But the testimony of his life, it does what he so tirelessly preached about. It makes me stand in amazement at a God that's filled with mercy, at a merciful God. I understand what mercy means. So at the end of this, I kind of want to close with this thought that, you know, maybe you're sitting here and you're struggling yourself. Maybe you're doubting even that God exists. Like maybe you don't even believe in a God. Um, and that he, if he does exist, that he doesn't care about you. Maybe you think um, you'll ne- never be able to understand the mystery or accept something you can't see. Or maybe you've been so hurt by people in his church that uh, you don't want to give him a chance and that you don't feel like there's a chance for healing. Or maybe you're confused like I am sometimes or was um, because you lived an easy life or a hard life. I just want to remind you what God says, that he's willing to patiently endure those questions and those feelings. You know, he's, gonna, he's willing to extend his mercy over our lifetime, just like he did through Paul's whole life, just so that we can come to fully trust him. He's willing to do that. That's how much he loves us. So that was my conclusion. That's what I came to. And uh, thank you guys for listening to me. And it was a real pleasure. If we could just pray now, we'll close. Uh, Father, we just thank you so much for your love and your mercy, God. 
God, you're so patient with us, even when we're impatient. And we sit here waiting sometimes, wondering what's going to happen and when we're going to meet you. And all these questions, God, you remind us that you're bigger than that and that you can handle all that. And if we're sitting here doubting any part of you, God, I, I pray that you remind us that it's okay sometimes and that you're willing to wait and let us figure it out and that you're going to be with us along the way, that we can trust you to be with us along the way. So we thank you. I pray for these people that we just, you just be with them this week. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.